We're reading from 1 Samuel 14, verse 24 to 52. It's on page 284 in the Red Church Bibles. Now the men of Israel were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Curse be any man who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. When they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, yet no one put his hand to his mouth, because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath, so he reached out the end of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, Curse be any man who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey. How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? That day, after the Philistine, after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ejelon, they were exhausted. They pounced on the plunder, and taking sheep, cattle, and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. Then someone said to Saul, Look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that has blood in it. You have broken faith, he said. Roll a large stone over here at once. Then he said, go out among the men and tell them, each one of you, each of you bring me your cattle and sheep and slaughter them here and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. So everyone brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn and let us not leave one of them alive. Do whatever seems best to you, they replied. But the priest said, let us inquire of God here. So Saul asked God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? But God did not answer him that day. Saul therefore said, come here, all you who are leaders of the army, and let us find out what sin has been committed today. As surely as the Lord who rescues Israel lives, even if it lies with my son Jonathan, he must die. But not one of the men said a word. Saul then said to all the Israelites, You stand over there, I and Jonathan, my son, will stand over here. Do what seems best to you, the men replied. Then Saul prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel, Give me the right answer. And Jonathan and Saul were taken by lot, and the men were cleared. Saul said, Cast the lot between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him, I merely tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now I must die? Saul said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. But the men said to Saul, Should Jonathan die, he who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Never. As surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. Then Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines, and they withdrew to their own land. After Saul had assumed rule over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side. 
Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, the kings of Zobar, and the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He fought valiantly and defeated the Amalekites, delivering Israel from the hands of those who had plundered them. Saul's sons were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malchishua. The name of his older daughter was Merab, and that of the younger was Michal. His wife's name was Ahinoam, daughter of Ahimaaz. The name of the commander of Saul's army was Abner, son of Ner, and Ner was Saul's uncle. Saul's father, Kish, and Abner's father, Ner, were sons of Abiel. All the days of Saul, there was bitter war with the Philistines, and whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service. Brilliant. Well, do keep that passage open in front of you as we go through it together this evening. I wonder, is the God we trust a reserve parachute God? You see, the reserve parachute is something that you're always glad you have with you when you're skydiving. You're comforted by its presence, but you hope that you never reach the point of having to use it. Option number one is always pulling your main parachute. The reserve is only for when you have no other option. And the reason I say that is because sometimes we can trust God like that. He's my reserve parachute. I love having God with me. I'm comforted by having God with me. But I'll see how far through life I'll get before I have to turn to my reserve parachute and cry out to God. And you know, tonight we see in our passage that Saul has this reserve parachute trusting God. That's what we're going to see tonight. But before we dive into our passage, we've been away from the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, for quite a while now. And it's good just to recap where we are in the story. You see, we've seen so far that Israel, God's people, they asked to have a king like all the other nations. And while Samuel, the prophet that God gave them at the time, showed how this request was a real shocking rejection of God being king over them, Saul was chosen. This man Saul, he was anointed to be the king of Israel. But you know, ever since Saul was anointed king, we've seen that, well, he doesn't look like he's the right person for the job. We saw that in chapter 13 when Saul, he's waiting for Samuel and he gets a bit fed up. And so he takes the sacrifices into his own hands. And when Samuel arrives and he sees what Saul has done, well, in chapter 13, verse 13, Samuel says, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had... He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul's throne, we see, it's going to come to an end. 
And someone else is going to be right for the job. Someone who chases after God's own heart. That person, God says, will be king. And then just before the passage that Charis read out to us, in the first part of chapter 14, we see this guy, Jonathan, Saul's son. He goes on this two-man mission to defeat Israel's enemies, the Philistines. And what we see in verse 14 of chapter 14, that Jonathan, he goes full Jason Bourne on the Philistines. And he starts killing about 20 Philistines in the space of half an acre. And God sends a panic into the camp. The Israelites win. The Philistines, they're on the run. And the Israelites are on the chase after them. And that's the scene for tonight's passage. As we go through our passage, we've got three points as we go through. And the first one is trusting God can. Trusting God can. That's from verses 24 to 35. You see, the author of Samuel has written this account of Israel's battle with the Philistines to highlight the two very different battle strategies that Saul and his son Jonathan had. We saw before that Jonathan, he's gone full Jason Bourne. He's gone full Jason Bourne. He's taking no prisoners. And whilst we look at the outcome as a huge victory for Jonathan, well, we need to remember why he got that victory. You see, on the surface of things, in the previous passage that we looked at, Jonathan's military strategy would have looked really stupid, really foolish. He goes to fight the Philistines with just him and his armor bearer. He's fighting an enemy that occupies the higher ground. And more than that, in verse 11, we see he gives away his position. He gives away his cover. I mean, what is Jonathan doing? But you see, there's one key difference that we we found out with Jonathan. Jonathan's trust in God is off the chart. He says in verse 6, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan trusts that God can do anything. And all the way through, Jonathan's battle cry is, The Lord has given them into our hands. Jonathan knows that God can do anything. But what we see in our passage tonight is the complete opposite of what true trust and faith in God looks like. Because Saul, we see how he gets ready for battle. And we see that he decides to lay down this curse upon his own people. We see that in verse 24. Look with me. He says, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. Do we see how different that statement is from his son's Jonathan's statement? Where Jonathan cries out, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Saul's statement is all about himself. It's a confidence in himself. Before I have avenged myself on my enemies. Saul's confidence is in himself. And it's not in God. 
And this is a statement that as we see through the whole passage, it creates a, a whole world of problems for Saul. Because in verses 25 to 28, we see Jonathan, well, he didn't hear what his father said. He didn't hear this curse. And so Jonathan finds himself walking into the woods one day and he finds honey filled in this forest. And like any decent person, he wants to have a taste of this honey. But someone tells him of what his father had said, his father's curse. And Jonathan Well, he responds in verse 29. He says, my father has made trouble for the country. Even Saul's son realizes that this is not the man that should be leading God's people. And yet, because of Saul's curse, we then venture into another consequence of it. Because in verse 31 to 33, after the battle... The soldiers, the army are so hungry because they've been starved, because they haven't been allowed to eat food, that it leads them into eating food in a way not prescribed and lawful in the law. You see, in the law it said that when they were eating meat, all the blood had to be drained away. You couldn't eat meat with blood in it. And yet they're so hungry because of Saul's curse They don't even wait to do that. They don't wait to drain the blood. They just go in and eat. And Saul says in verse 33, you have broken faith. But you see, they've broken faith because they're following a leader that has no faith. Even though Saul tries in verse 35 to build an altar, well, we see the author has this note at the end where it says it was the first time he had done this. It's a note which carries this tone of subtle condemnation on what Saul was doing. You see, in this first section, we get a a huge contrast between someone who says and someone who believes God can and another person that believes I can. And, you know, we see the results of both of those attitudes, don't we? Jonathan saying God can, well, it ends in victory for him. It ends in defeat on his enemies. But Saul saying I can, well, it ends with trouble for the people. It ends with the people, it says, in distress. It ends with the people sinning against God. And this evening, when it comes to the great rescue that we need from God, from our sin, do we say I can or do we say God can? Because it might be that we might not deceive ourselves into thinking that we could actually achieve this rescue for ourselves. It might not be that we think that we could work ourselves to be right with God, but we might doubt that God could save me. God could save you. Maybe we we think we're too far gone. We're a lost cause. And, And even if God could rescue me, well, I don't deserve it. But you see, as we remember tonight, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Do you know, in the accounts of Jesus' life, when Jesus is asked the question, who then can be saved? 
Jesus ends that encounter. He says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. If our attitude tonight is, I can, it's me, it depends on me. Well, we, read, we need to realize, like Saul, I can't. But there is a God that can. There is a God that can do anything. And there is a God that has done everything through Christ to rescue people like you and me this evening. Trust God can. But secondly, trust God first. From verses 36 to 45. And again, we we see a bit of Saul's battle strategy in verse 36. Saul said, let us go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn. And let us not leave one of them alive. And the people hear that plan and and they've kind of got used to Saul's uh, plans. and, And they say then, well... Do whatever seems best to you, it says they replied. Again, do we see the markers that the author is showing us? Whatever seems best to you. This inward, self-reliant, self-trusting attitude. And it gets picked up by one of the priests. And one of the priests ends up rebuking Saul, saying, well, actually, let us inquire of God here. And you know, this really exposes Saul's heart. Here you have a king ruling over God's people, not seeking God first. A reserve parachute God. Because every battle that Israel had ever fought and ever won in history was won because God intervened. Like we saw with Jonathan. But you see, Saul forgets history... He forgets God and he goes his own way. But having heard this rebuke from one of the priests, well, he then does ask God what he should do. And the shock of this is verse 37, God did not answer him that day. And it reminds us of a promise that Samuel had made to the people about what would happen if you chose a king like this. In chapter 8, verse 18, Samuel says, when the day comes... You will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. God's silence shows the people what happens when you have a king that doesn't follow God's way. But Saul hears the silence and, well, he immediately thinks it's because someone has sinned. And so from verse 38 to 42, to find the guilty person, Saul prays that this person would be revealed. And lots are taken, and we see that Jonathan is chosen. And Jonathan, he confesses everything. He confesses that he did taste the honey. And it looks like Jonathan has to die. Again, all of this a result of Saul's curse that we saw right at the beginning. And just as Jonathan is about to be executed for his honey crime, verse 45, the people step in. And they say, should Jonathan die, 
He who's brought about this great deliverance in Israel, never, as surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. For he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan and he was not put to death. People, that they see the madness of what is going on. Jonathan, he's the one that did trust God. He's the one that was obedient to God. He's the one that led the people in defeat of their enemies. And yet he's the one being condemned. It's so clear to them, Jonathan is actually the one that the Lord is helping. He did this today with God's help. Jonathan trusts God. And in this section, again, we see the clear difference between Saul and Jonathan. Saul, at the beginning, shown to not even think of inquiring of God. And at the end of this section, we see the people point us to Jonathan, the one that does trust God, the one that does cry out to him first. To use the parachute illustration again, Jonathan trusts God, not as his reserve parachute, but as his only parachute. And Jonathan knows that Israel is doomed if it does not trust and rely on God alone. And do you know, I... I'm so guilty, so often guilty of not having Jonathan's heart. Do you know, in life when I'm wondering which way I should go, so often I seek my own counsel rather than God's. And do you know, I love Psalm 143 verse 8 because it says this, it says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I entrust my life. It gives us a window into this trust God first heart. It wakes up every morning and it cries out to the Lord, Show me the way I should go. I trust you, God. And yet there are times each day where God remains my reserve parachute God. I say, I don't say, show me the way I should go today. Rather I say like Saul, I already know the way I should go. And the danger is, is that we start to believe that we only bring God in for life's big things. You know, young people at the moment, for some of you, it feels like life is just a mountain of exams. And in this time of of frantic revision and exams, the easiest thing in the world is for your time where you come before God and you cry out to him, your times of prayer, your times where you're reading his word, for him to speak to you, that is the easiest thing to drop. In this time. And we might have a mindset which says, our God won't mind, it's just this time's really busy, and I'll come back to God after I've come out of this period. 
But you see, this is a reserve parachute God we are trusting in. And you know, life will never get less busy. In fact, it gets busier. I'm sorry. (laughs) And so revise, definitely revise, but trust God first. Trust God first every day. You know, that verse from Proverbs in chapter 3, verse 5 comes to mind, where it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because if we're serious as followers of Jesus, if we're serious that he has the ultimate authority over every part of my life, well then, I should trust him in every area of life. I should seek him first in every area of life. I want a heart that doesn't say, do whatever seems best to you, like we see in our passage. I want a heart like the priest that says, let us inquire of God here. Show me the way I should go. Trust God first. And finally, we see trust God's king. Trust God's king from verses 46 to the end of the chapter. You see, in this passage tonight, we're left with a really disappointing view of Saul. It says that he stopped pursuing the Philistines in verse 46, and he withdrew. And you know, whilst we see afterwards in the passage that Saul, he did go on to defeat many enemies, says he fought valiantly. Do you know, the end of the passage really sums it up. Verse 52, it says, All the days of Saul, there was a bitter war with the Philistines. And whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service. Saul, he never manages to conquer the Philistines. And you know, in 1 Samuel 9 verse 16, it tells us that this was the reason Saul was brought to be king, to defeat the Philistines. But because of his heart, because he does not trust God, he's not been able to. And you know, the last sentence in in the section might seem like a real throwaway comment. Whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service. But you know, in a couple of chapters' time, we're going to be introduced to someone who is this person, who was a mighty and brave man that Saul took into his service. We see that this person ends up being someone that seeks God's heart. Saul ultimately has to point us to David, King David, God's chosen king that chases after God's heart, who whilst is Israel's greatest king in the Old Testament, do you know eventually with David we find out too that he needs a rescue. We find out that his heart needs a rescue. And that's why we keep looking forward. We keep on reading the Bible. We go through all of the books and then we get to Matthew and we find Jesus. And he's the king. He is the king that it ultimately points to because Jesus is the one who truly trusted God the Father to save his people. You know, when he's out in the garden of Gethsemane and he's crying out and he says, Yet not my will be done, but yours be done. The one through what we remember tonight, 
rescued us from our sin, our rebellion, the greatest enemy of humanity, our sin and Satan. He rescued us from that, rescued us from our hearts, the times where we do not trust God. Jesus is the king that we need, the king that we need more than anything this evening. The king we need to trust. The king that leads us God's way. The king that brings us and delivers us God's full salvation, God's full rescue. Above all else tonight, trust God's king. Trust King Jesus. So this evening, do we trust a reserve parachute God? A just-in-case God? Because tonight shows us the need not just to trust God, but to trust God the right way. To trust God as our rescuer and as our ultimate authority and guidance through life. To trust every day that God can, God has, and to trust God first. Well, we're going to take some time now to discuss around our tables uh, some what, what, we've, what we've seen uh, in tonight's passage. But if we can, we can write down these questions and maybe uh, just these two questions, which is, how can we assure this week that we trust God first? How can we ensure this week that we trust God first? And secondly, how does this picture, this passage pointing us to Jesus make a difference to us this week? How does this passage, which points us to King Jesus, make a difference to us this week? So let's take a um, time to discuss those around our tables and then Adam will come back up and lead us in our time of communion.